Good morning, good morning. All right, you get a, a double portion of me today because my dad is in Pittsfield, so sorry to disappoint, but actually we were going to have one of our, um, our missionaries is in the area, and he was supposed to be with us today, Lou May and his wife, and I was looking forward to having them. They were going to do the Sunday school hour, and they left us a message that they had COVID, so... They didn't show up. I think they're doing fine, but um, so they thought it would be best, and we agreed if they did not come today. So we didn't get to see them at all. But um, let's do this. I have. Uh, I'm not in the series or anything. I just want to look at some scripture today in the book of Colossians. So I want to discuss this passage in Colossians chapter two. So I would invite you to turn there and look at this passage with me. And some of this is, some of what I want to talk about today is in light of current events and some of the turmoil that we have around us, especially in the last several days on the news and maybe on your social media feed like on mine, a lot of people up in arms about the Roe versus Wade decision. And we, of course, have been praying for that for 50 years and God has answered those prayers, and we rejoice. There's much work to do, obviously, that remains, but how many of you were at uh, our church, went to the March for Life many years ago? How many of you were there? One, two, so, so yeah, and I know some of the, some others who are downstairs were there. So, but the one thing that I've noticed is that, and I, and I guess I should have expected it, but the amount of rage that we see from those on the other side. Have you, have you seen that? Um, I know one of our young ladies posted on, on Facebook yesterday, and uh, it was Maddie LaRoche, many of you know Maddie, and you're connected on Facebook with her. She, she posted, and she's got a lot of friends, obviously, in the local college community, and she posted just thanking God for, for what's happened. And it was a little bit astounding, the amount of hatred that was that was sent her way like it was it was it, it kind of it shouldn't I guess shouldn't surprise me, but it took me back so I I admired the courage she didn't have to post anything right or could just take it down but it just made me I've just been thinking about these things for the last couple of days and as Christians the, you know the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that as much as Paul says as much as is possible we ought to live peaceably with people around us, right? That's the goal. Christians, we ought, to be, we ought to be a people of peace, and we ought to be a peacemaking people. But at the same time, there's another side, and that's what I want you to see in Colossians chapter 2. And it's an important reminder for the cultural moment that we, face, we find ourselves in today. So in Colossians 2, I want you to look at verse number 6 through verse number 10 with me today. So Colossians 2, let's read the, all of the, all five verses, and then we will we'll go back through it more carefully. Paul to the Colossian church, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, 
lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at this passage. Please help us to just have open hearts and open minds and Lord, give us, give us wisdom as we study the scriptures. I pray that you'd make them plain to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I want you to notice in verse number 6 and 7, what you see is the apostle, the apostle has a desire for the church. He says, I want you, in verse 6, as you have received Christ the Lord, I want you to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, but now the... The point to which all of those supporting statements have come is how does he describe their Christian experience? He wants them to be what? This final statement. He wants them to be, well, the, the final statement that we come to here. So, this, so what's happening is we're walking in him, we're rooted in him, we're established in him as we've been taught, and all of that results in what kind of a description? What is the description here at the end? Yeah, well, there you go. It's an abounding kind of life. It's an abounding kind of Christian life. So let me ask you this. Let's discuss this passage together. So how would you describe, help me out this morning, how would you describe an abounding, an abounding Christian experience? Somebody? Give me, uh, let's talk about that. What would the, how would you describe a, Christ, your, a Christian life, a Christian experience that is abounding? What does that even mean? You guys are like, well, you're supposed to be the expert. You tell me. I don't want to talk this morning, right? We're going we're gonna to work through it. This idea of abounding. What, 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 do we, what do we mean here? Abounding. Excited, joyful. Okay, so there's an excitement. There's a joy. There's a confidence. Yeah, I like that. What else? Abounding. There's an easiness to it. Like, what do you mean? Doing right becomes easy, flows like a river, I guess. Okay, flows like I like that. Flowing like a river. Abounding is also the idea of like increasing, right? So there's we it comes from abundance, right? If you are if you're abounding, it means you have an abundance, right? You have everything. The point here is you have everything that you need. All that you and that it kind of links, if you notice down to verse number 10. That same thing in verse, skip down with me to verse number 10, and he says what? And ye are complete in him. So this idea back in the previous verse about abounding in Christ is that I'm not looking for anything else. It's this, it's this idea that there's no, that there's, in, there's really no room in my life for anything else. I'm filled, I, my cup is filled, as the psalmist said, my cup is filled to overflowing. It's running over. It's this experience of Christ in us, a power, a victory, of joy. Maybe uh, other, another biblical concept that would go with this is the filling of the Spirit. You know, I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit. I have the fruit of the Spirit. 
So now, how does this happen? Go back to verse number 6. He teaches us in these verses how that's going to happen. So in verse 6, look at it with me. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So real simple here. The, the Christian life, we are to walk in him in what way? So just repeat that. Just give that back to me now. So we walk in Christ the same way that we what? I heard it. Same way that we what? Yeah, the same way that we receive Christ. We walk in Christ. We live our Christian life the same way that we receive Christ. Now, we would just kind of you know, skip over this, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What does he mean, walk in Christ the same way that you receive Christ? What does he mean by that? What way is that? By faith through grace. How's that? By faith through grace. Yeah, we receive Christ by faith through, or by grace, I got, we got, by grace through faith. So we enter into the Christian life entirely by, by Christ. And he says that that is exactly the same way that you need to continue. Now, this is a problem that is addressed not just for the, but for the, um, the Colossian church. This is also something that he would have to address with the Galatian church. He says, if you, uh, in fact, maybe we can look at that. Let me see if I can find that. Turn back. Pay, we'll just be there quick. But if you go back to um, Galatians, I think it's in chapter number, chapter number no, verse number three. I'm uh, chapter number three. Look at verse uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter three and verse number two. This is very. I want you to see how this is very similar to the teaching in Colossians. Colossians, verse two. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? What's the answer to the question? No. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or was it by the hearing of faith? Or by the hearing of faith. Verse 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Back to Colossians 2, that's the same thing that's being taught here. The same way he says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So what happens? So somebody please describe, based on these two, on these two what happens in, to us in our Christian life? If we fall into, if we fall, if we don't listen to that warning or we don't listen to that instruction, what is the thing that we're always temp, that's always tempted to happen? Yeah. And specifically here, it has this idea that I began not trusting in myself. I began trusting completely in Christ, but I got a little way along. I walked a little way along in my Christian life. And then I started to not put my... my so my faith for my salvation was in Christ, but oh, I've got to get through my work. I've got to get through my, uh, my family raising. I've got to do all these things. I've got all these things to do. That all describes our walk with God. We're tempted to get away from Christ. It's like, what's the story of the one who took their eyes off of Christ? It's Peter, remember? Peter is walking on the, wa on the water. People give Peter a hard time because he sank, but he stepped out of the boat, right? So he stepped out of the boat. He begins, he begins, his, he begins his 
his, this miracle looking right at Christ, and then this, he sees everything around him, he takes his eyes off Christ, and he begins to sink. Well, that's a picture, that's an illustration of this truth that, that Paul is teaching here. He says, the same way that you receive Christ, you've got to walk in him that way. You've got to stay fixed and focused on him and him alone. But we do, the devil wants to convince us, and sometimes it sounds good. It sounds like responsibility. Oh, well, I've got to do this, and I've got to meet these expectations. No, it's got to be, it's got to be all by faith. We walk the same way that we, that we are saved, by faith. So he says here in verse number six, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, when that happens, look at the description now in verse seven. A couple of things here. Rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So let's talk through these descriptors here. Somebody give me, somebody, what, what comes to mind when you see this? What does it mean to be rooted and built up in him? What do you think of? Tree. Think of what? A tree. A tree? Yeah. Think of it. Brings uh, energy from the source, Christ, and growing outward because of the power from Yeah, absolutely. The source. The the source is Christ, and you grow outward. So there's rooted. Somebody else on that idea of being rooted. So then, so that's the that's a great picture. That's an illustration. So what does that look like in our Christian experience? How do we stay rooted? Where does this rooting come from? Rely. If you didn't hear Cal, relying on him for every decision, even the small ones. That's interesting. What a scripture that comes to mind with that is. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So it says even in the most mundane things that we do each and every day, so that, that's going to be rooted in him, so that I'm deriving, my, I'm deriving my strength, my power, my wisdom from him. What else on being rooted here? Practical steps to make every decision be you know, daily word, yeah. right? you know, living uh, the life that in the end is going to help you turn in purpose. So you've got to make daily decisions to, to build into that rooting. Yeah. So you, you trust Christ in every decision, but then you're actively making sure that you're being fed by him. You're staying connected. Jesus would say, and he would use the vine and the branches illustration in, in, in John's gospel. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You've got to abide in me. If you abide in me, it's going to produce fruit. Yeah. Rooted and built up and established in the faith. Boy, how would you describe a person like that? What would they look like? What would that Christian look like? You say, boy, that's somebody that's rooted, they're built up, they're established in the faith. What's that person going to, what is that person going to look like? How would you describe them? If you were to say, huh? Joy. Joy? Well, if it was me, if he would be the pot, I would be the plant. Everything that I got, if it was, if it was in him, it would be, that's what only what I should get out and get, and I would have what he had to offer. Yeah, I like that. So how is that going to affect a person's life then? Let's just now get practical with it. 
If you look at somebody who's rooted, rooted, they're built up, they're established, how's that going to affect the, that person's life or their reputation or their just anything about them? What are you going to see in a person that's rooted, built up, established? I don't think, now, now this, is, this is just me in, in, in application here, but I don't think, when I see this, I don't think of somebody real young necessarily, although a young person could exhibit this, right? But I imagine somebody that is finishing well. I think of somebody like that you can look at and say, wow, they never wavered, they never faltered, right? Because the, it comes out at the end, right? You could be rooted and built right now, and you could be, we could be young, and, and that could be true, and I'm not saying it's not true. But the evidence of that, the proof of that comes later on. When we look and say, wow, look at that, they never, never... Maybe, I'm thinking of somebody that maybe they, they, well, they went through a difficulty. They went through a difficulty, but they never veered off the path. Or they, they, they had a trial, or they faced a serious temptation, but they stayed the course. But that's only going to happen if they're rooted in Christ. Right? It doesn't happen if we're rooted in other things or if we're confident in ourselves, and that's kind of the point here. That is the point here. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Now, I think this next, this next phrase is interested, interesting to me. As ye have been taught. Rooted, built, in, built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught. What is significant about that statement? I think you could probably go in a few different directions with it, but I'm just curious what you think. As ye have been taught. Any thoughts on that? It takes effort to be rooted. You can't, it's something that you have to learn. So it's not like, it's not like just the gift of the Spirit, like, oh, if you're Christian, you will be rooted. Okay, so I don't know if you can hear in the back, but that's really good so far. So it's not just automatic. It's not like a gift of the Spirit. Like, oh, you're, you're a Christian now, boom, you're going to be rooted. What you're saying is you have to be, it's, it's a learning process. It's going to be a teaching process. Do you have more? Just kind of off of what Adam said, you have to know the word. You have to study the Bible and know what it says because when difficulties come or if you want to be a firm, rooted person, there's a lot of things that will happen in your life and knowing what God says about trials or temptations or like whatever, um, the word is what gives you the answer to those things. Right. So the answer comes from the word. And you're not going to be the roots aren't going to go deep if you've never fed the roots. In other words, you're never going to, you can't know what you've never learned, what you've never been taught. Anything else significant to you about this as you have been taught? Anything you go to, you go to study with someone who's already, already there, yeah. you know, and they're talking with them. Uh, you don't do it on your own because you don't have the experience or the knowledge of what the teacher already has. So there's a bit of humility that's necessary. That's an interesting one there, because are there people that try to do it on their own? There's tons of people that do, actually. There's a ton of people that say, they say, oh, I could learn that. I could do that. I could be that, you know? We'll just stick with like the, the music example. I could be a rock star, right? Or I could, I could, do, uh, I could be successful. I could, you could do it in any area of life. I could, I could have a business. 
I could be rich. I could do this. And they come up with their own idea, their own plan, they, they, what they're going to do, when really, what you just said, all you really have to do is find somebody who's what? All you got to do is find someone who's already done it and say, hey, tell me, how do I do it? Now, and it, it's, it's humility, but it's also, there's a lot of freedom there, right? There's a lot of freedom, and like, and, and this is what's going on in our culture today. Everybody has been given a mission now that they have to discover their own meaning in life. Everybody's been, like, now the new, the new, the new worldview is that they have to figure out who they are, who, they've got to create their whole identity, they've got to do all of this. All this pressure is on people to create the meaning of their existence. And it's soul-crushing. Whereas the way of Christ, Jesus says, come and learn of me. Come and learn of me. So who does the teaching? Rooted and built up, established in the faith, as ye have been taught. Who does the teaching? They're already experiencing that abundant thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. You want to find people that are, Paul would say to, I think it was the Corinthian church, follow me. Now, if it ended there, Paul would have been the greatest cult leader that we'd ever seen, right? But it didn't end there. Paul said, follow me as, what? I follow Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In fact, speaking of leaders in the church, it says, that, I think this is in Hebrews, it talks about those that, those that, that lead. It says, whose faith follow? Now, you don't follow men and women, but you follow their faith. When you see other people walking in the faith, yes, we can follow their faith. But ultimately, we know none of us are following, we're not following those teachers or those role models. Ultimately, we're following Christ. And the Bible says, it also says in John, there's this, there's this balance. In many scriptures, it says that you should listen to the people who are teaching you. But then in other scriptures, in, in 1 John, for instance, it says, you don't need any man to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And that's the ultimate check and balance, that the Spirit is our ultimate teacher, but God has given teachers to the church. Yeah. So we're rooted, we're built up, we're established in the faith as we have been taught, and that gives us this abounding life that causes us then to look back and instead of complain or criticize or be, or be discontent, we can say, wow. I'm so grateful. Wow, I'm so thankful. Do you think it's fair to say that if we are not grateful, that that's a chief evidence that we are not rooted and established in the faith? I think it is. Oh, you're hopping around on me. Yeah, that's the verse I was telling you about. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. But I already moved on from that. So let's go on to the, so here we are. Um, the, back to the Thanksgiving thing. The end of verse number, the, the end of verse number uh, eight, seven. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. I think when we are ungrateful, when we are ungrateful, that's an evidence that there's a, a deficiency in our root system. That's, I think we're, we're instructed to thankfulness so often in the Bible. 
I think it's almost like a checkup for us. Like, how are you doing as a Christian? Well, I go to church, I do this, I, I give, I help, I serve, I do this. How grateful are you? That's like the ultimate, the ultimate barometer of where we, where, we, where we stand. It's like back in, remember, this is in the not too distant future. How many of you, when you went to work for a while, some of you might have worked from home. Anybody here, you went to work, you had to get your temperature checked every day? Who, did, who had that going on? Still happening for you, or just sign it? But it's just like you know, beep, and you're always wondering like, what's it gonna say, right? Like, what's what is the? You hear the beep, and you're like, am I good? Yeah, okay, come on in, come on in. So it's almost like as a as as Christians, we need that with thankfulness. It's like just a little check, you know, where are we at? How content are we with with God, the place God's put us? Now. We come to verse 8, and this is what, how, where I began with just thinking about all that's going on in our world today. Verse 8. Now he gives us an, a, a word of caution. And he says, beware. Beware. Lest any man spoil you. Now, this is the, you know, the word spoil has different usages that mean different things. This isn't like you would spoil a child. This is using the this is this is using the word as it would be the spoils of war. So taking something or someone captive. So it says, be careful. Be careful and don't let anyone take you captive. This is really, really important. And this is a word that our generation, this is a a truth that our generation of Christians needs to take really, really seriously. Beware, he says, because there are those who want to bring you back into captivity. Now, how are they going to do it? Well, look, you look at scriptures. How are they going to do it? So in other words, can you imagine this? Can you imagine there's this whole group of Think of a church. Think of a church and a a room full of people that love Jesus, that are abounding with thanksgiving, and this whole company, this whole group of saints, the plan of the the evil one is to come in and take away what? Captives. To come in and take away prisoners. To come in and take people out. To remove them. Now, how is that accomplished? Specifically here, through what? Through philosophy. Through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men. So I think what you have here, I think you have two, two things. Philosophy, vain deceit, speaking of the, the tradition of men, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And not after Christ. What is this idea of being spoiled or captive, taken captive through philosophy? What, what is that? Well, what do we, I guess we better define what philosophy is here. What is, in, a, in, in simplest terms, very basic explanation, how would you define philosophy? Ladies first. A viewpoint of life. That works for me, but yeah, go ahead. Yes, uh, we will like 
Okay, it's a, yeah, I think that's a good point too. It's a human view of life. The popular word now to say would be worldview, the way that you understand the world around you. How many of you have discovered that there are competing views of life that we are surrounded by right now? I mean, just we are, we are surrounded by it. And again, this is just brought to the forefront. It seems like we do this every summer. You know, like last year we had a, it was a different thing. This summer, it's, it, it, now it's all surrounding this, this issue of life. So let me boil it down very simply. I've, I've seen the opposing, take the Roe versus Wade issue. The opposing argument has been essentially this. You don't value women, so you are denying them their human rights. That's a worldview, right? And I would say, well, the key, the key distinction of these worldviews is actually not about human rights at all. Because both groups claim to value human rights. The worldview difference is who is a human, right? That's the difference. The difference is, the difference of belief is what constitutes a human being. It's not about, so, so the, and those are two very different world views. The one says that the unborn child has no human rights at all. Only the mother has human rights. Whereas the pro-life position says, no, they both have equal human rights. That the child has just as meant, the unborn child has equal human standing as the mother has. You got, you got to, I thought you looked like you were going to say something. That's the, so, but again, we have to, as Christians, be people that we clearly understand what our Christian philosophy is, what a biblical philosophy is. Now, how is the world right now, how is the world right now trying to take Christians captive through that issue alone? What is the methodology that's being used? It's not debate. It's not argument. It's bullying, right? It's, it's social intimidation. That if you don't, I literally have seen people We've literally seen people we know who say, this is my worldview, is that the child has intrinsic human rights. And the opposing argument is this, you are a terrible person because you believe that. Now, you can, you can receive that once or twice and brush it off. But when that becomes the prevailing and dominant view of the entire society around you. What happens to some believers day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade? What begins to happen? The philosophy what? It starts to sink in. It starts to sink in. It starts to affect us. And so you'll look at people who 10 or 15 years ago, they believed... They, they had a, a, set, a, a, a set of core values that you'd say, you know what, those will never go away. But they've changed. Those people have changed. Now, this scripture tells us they've been spoiled. 
They've been taken captive by philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men. After the, now this is an interesting one. You might want to underline it. The rudiments of the world. For sake of time, that simply means the basic elements. Like the underlying beliefs, if you would. The basic belief system. The basic principles of the world and not after Christ. What do we know about the basic principles of the world? Well, we know a lot. You could probably say a lot to that question. But one thing I could tell you, the basic principles of the world, they, they change. They're always moving. It's always changing. At one time, and they're culturally relative, aren't they? One culture, one culture believes has these basic life principles. Another culture has different basic life principles. All these rudiments of the world, they're changing, they're moving around, it's a moving target. Now, the answer to all of this is not, well, I'm just going to get angrier and more militant in my position, just like the world is. If the world is going to be loud, I'm going to be three times as loud. If the world is going to be, if the world is going to put social pressure on, I'm going to put social pressure on. But that's not actually what the scripture calls us to do, is it? We're called to do what? In this passage, where do we find that resoluteness? Where do we find that fortitude? Where do we find that certainty? So that we'll not be spoiled. Where is it? We follow Christ. We follow Christ. We follow the way of Christ. And we, we in a, in a, in a, in a strange time for us, in a time that's changed, we don't, it, it's not about the, and this isn't that we're not active, don't misunderstand me, we should be active, but we should have a spirit about us and a truth about us that says, you know what, I follow Jesus. I'm complete in him. Why? Because in verse number nine, verse number nine says, for in him, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then, ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're, verse 10, ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. The idea there of the principality and power is this. It's the idea that there are, there are forces at work in this world to change and put pressure and to do all of these things. But Jesus is in charge of all of it. He is the head of all of it. And for us to be rooted, to be grounded, to not be affected. My, my hope and prayer is for myself, for my children, for us to be an abounding, joyful generation of Christians that do not cave to the philosophy and the elements of the world that are all around us. But with a resolve and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we say, Lord, we press on in the name of Jesus and in his power. We're not angry about it. We're joyful about it. And we point others to Christ. We bring people to Christ, and, we, and they too can find completion in him. That's Colossians chapter 2, a passage that means a lot to me. I go back to it often. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you that we've had this time to look at your word. I pray that we would learn from it, that we'd be changed by it. And Lord, I pray for Christians in our country and around the world, Lord. Father, we face 
social pressure and intimidation here, but in, in other places, believers are they're, they're facing an existential battle, Lord, whether they live or die or be imprisoned. So we especially pray for them to be, to be bold, to find their completion in you. And for us, as we learn to navigate new, a new day and new challenges, Lord, please help us to be your people called by your name. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed for a few minutes.